Right, morning everyone. Um, can I just add my um, encouragement to you to consider um, fusion and to go home and say, hey, come on, are we going? Because I want to tell you the truth. I'm not going for myself. I'm going to be with you guys. And there's always a cost. But in that, God also, I really believe there's a principle that God speaks to us when we step out of the ordinary. And we encounter God in a refreshing way when we just step out of the ordinary run of life. And I, for those reasons, I just think, come on, let's do everything we can, as I said, to encourage one another to go together. Right. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 and 15, we are picking um, our journey through Exodus. We're going to be based in um, chapter 14 today. Just to say chapter 15 is a, a song of all that God has done um, in the story. And we're not going to have time to read that today. Um, but please go home and even this evening before you go to sleep, just read it as a song of worship and as a song of praise and adoration to God. So we've been tracking through this story of Exodus and we've seen that God has provided a way out for his people from Egypt under um, slavery to Egypt and Pharaoh and God is leading his people on this journey into his promises, his promised land for them. He is a God of salvation and rescue, a God of redemption and a God of blessing. And we see that as we go through this story, we, we, we encounter a revelation of who is God? Who is God? What, what's he like? What's his name even? What's his character? And we just begin to see this story of God unfold, the character and nature of God. And this, this story, I'm not going to spend long doing this, but this story of Exodus is a pivotal story in our Old Testament, in the beginning of our Bible. It is a foundational story in God's bigger story of salvation of the world. And we see back in Genesis at the beginning, um, we see this story of many nations, of many people, of many accounts of people's lives. We see that God's plan for, for creation and humanity is to bless and to bring goodness and life to them. But in man's sin and rebellion against God, we see the effects of the curse and evil and death at play. And as we go through Genesis, we come to Genesis chapter 12 and how God picks one man, Abraham, and makes a promise to this guy that through you and your descendants, the whole, all the nations of the world will be saved and rescued. We get this close-up personal view of um, three generations as we begin to see God's promises to the nations of the world unfold through this family. And then we come to Exodus, and at this point in their story, as we close in Genesis and come into Exodus, God's people have found themselves down in, 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 in Genesis, in Egypt, because of a famine, a severe famine. They went down, they were few in number. And as we come into Exodus, we discover that they have hugely multiplied. They are a vast people, a threat to Egypt, no less. And it gets them into a bad situation being in Egypt. They are under oppression in Egypt. Slavery. And we, we, hit, we see them crying out to God, God rescue us, redeem us, save us from Egypt. 
God's response to this is to raise up a deliverer. Someone who will come and rescue his people. And this, this guy is Moses. And we see this, we, we're tracking now this, this story with Moses as this um, rescuer, this deliverer of God's people who has been raised up and called to lead God's people from slavery to Egypt into the promises of God. We said right at the beginning that this story has this theme, this broad theme that God draws us out to draw us in. He draws us out from slavery, for these guys from slavery to Egypt, into his promise of a new land. Into the promise of freedom. Into the promise of life and blessing, inheritance and hope. And hopefully as we've gone through this story, you've seen that it, so far, you've seen that it works at a number of levels. We've got the, um, the Israel enslaved for 400 odd years. God draws them out to draw them into his promised land. Then, as Rob did so well and brilliantly last week, that this story of how God's means of rescue, redemption, and salvation for his people, how it works through this Passover lamb, and how, and how this story points to an even greater Exodus story, and that is in Jesus. It's not just an offer of rescue to the people of Israel out from slavery to Egypt, but it's an offer to the whole world that whoever believes in Jesus can find rescue and freedom and, and from sin and slavery and death into life and hope and fullness of life and blessing and an inheritance and a future hope. We're drawn out from our own story where we live as our, with ourselves as our God and worship the gods of our age. It might not be the sun god. It might not be all the gods that Al showed us up on the screen the other week, but Make no mistake, we have gods that we worship in our age. Money, the money god, the sex god, the self god, the I god, the me god, the consumer god. We have plenty of gods. We might not look at them as wooden idols, but boy, are they things that we are in danger always of bowing down to. And Jesus leads us out from slavery to these things and says, you'll now become a worshiper of the living God in relationship. I want you to come back home. So there's this Jesus storyline in this book of Exodus. And then the other storyline is for us personally, because of that greater storyline, that our journey, our story has now been, if you're in Christ, has been caught up into this Exodus journey, into this Exodus story about what God has done and what God wants to do with each of our lives here this morning. So this, this story is a pivotal story in the Bible. It's a pivotal story that Jesus and the apostles point back to as a foundational story of, of what is taking place in salvation. What is, how does God rescue? Who is Jesus? What, what's the point of Jesus? Why Jesus? And this story gives us imagery and vocabulary that, that act like hyperlinks on a website. You know if you're on a website and you're looking how to make um, eggs benedict, you kind of bechamel sauce. How do I do that? And you Highlight it, isn't it? You click it, and it takes you to another page that brings up another recipe, and you go, oh yeah, bechamel sauce, I know how to make that now. These words, these, these terms, Passover, as we looked at with Rob last week, or redeem, as comes up now in Exodus, this word redeem, redeemed, redeemer, these act like hyperlinks, or the word salvation that appears for the first time here in chapter 14, as we see 
in just a moment. These work like hyperlinks, and every time we see them and read them, we're meant to, they're meant to act like markers in our, in our heads and in our hearts that kind of go, oh yeah, oh yeah, just as Rob said last week, it points to. It points to Jesus. It points to God's work of rescue and salvation ultimately through Christ Jesus. And this narrative, I just want to touch on this just for a moment. That God's means of purchasing us as, and, and redeeming us is through the blood of a lamb, as we looked at last week. It is through the taking of the life of a lamb. And he rescues his people through that. He preserves them as they shelter under the blood, as Rob was saying last week. But at the same time as God rescues his people, he is also a God of justice. And he also brings justice on his enemies. We have a God who, who, who hates injustice. And a God who deals with that with equity and justice. He is a holy God. And that is good news also. That the enemies of God do not go unpunished. You see, the, the life of the lamb is taken as a symbol that God doesn't want to kill people. God is not out to get you. God loves you. He wants to save you and rescue. That, that's the whole point of this book, the Bible. It's a story of how God is saving men and women like you and like I from sin and death, from folly and from an eternity of separation with him. But the reality is you, you can have someone like Pharaoh who doesn't want to be saved. God says, that's okay. You can have what you want then. If you don't want to receive the grace I've given to you, extended to you, as we saw with, with um, Pharaoh, over and over, God said, come on, grace. Grace. Even in, the, even in the plagues, it was God extending grace. Hey, Pharaoh, come on. Come on, my grace. Come on. You don't, have to, you don't have to worship these false gods that will ultimately lead you to death and can't deliver you. They are powerless and, and unable to save you, but I'm the true God. And God is a God who is a God of justice and mercy. And the lamb, as we saw last week, is a symbol of God's mercy and his redemption. For those that see and receive that lamb, they take that refuge, sheltering under the blood of the lamb. The message of the Bible is that you will be saved. Our God is able to deliver. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, as we, as we encountered he is able to save with a mighty, outstretched arm. And, so, and then just briefly look at salvation, the salvation of God. Because I know, we, I know we know these things. I know we know that, yes, God is a God of salvation and I am saved. But I, I want to remind us again of the salvation of God from Exodus. So let's just um, jump. We're actually going to start back in Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go after the tenth plague had come and the firstborn of Egypt died, God did not lead his people by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people, his people, change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, 
God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up from here. Isn't it amazing that 400 odd years before this exodus of God's people from Egypt, Joseph prophesied. He, he knew that the God of his father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God who is faithful to his promises. Isn't that interesting that even in his own story, in the us bit of Joseph's story, his own personal story, he'd experienced the saving power of God, delivery from a prison and a pit and from accusation and being lifted out. He'd experienced, my God is a saving God. He's a God who delivers his people. He's a God who provides in times of need. He's a God who is saving the nations of the world. And Joseph, on his deathbed, made his son swear, say, take my bones out from Egypt. When God leads you, take me with you to the promised land that God has got. And I just think that's amazing that Joseph, 400 years earlier, prophesies, hey, you're going to one day carry my bones out from that land. As Rob said last week, don't get too comfortable there. You're an alien and stranger. Hey, one day church, these bodies are going to be renewed. We don't just believe in an eternity of floatiness. We have resurrection hope. Our Jesus, King Jesus, has a resurrection body. As he's passed through death, been raised to life, ascended to the right hand of the Father, resurrection life. We don't just believe in eternal life, we believe in resurrection life. And we're going to one day receive a new body that we're going to spend eternity in glory with God, with one another, with new bodies that won't... We don't have to pray for healing in the future. Isn't that great? Amen. And for our minds. And for our relationships. And for those who've suffered under slavery and bondage and iniquity. We have, a, we have a hope that is pulling us forward, a promised land that God has said, I am leading you through my son Christ Jesus into my promise. We're going to jump down to verse 5 of chapter 14. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done? We've acted like idiots. Our workforce, we've let them go. So he made his chariot ready and took his army with them. And he basically took the military elite of their day. The greatest force on the world to go and hunt down the people of God. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them all, Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Penhill in front of West Windham. <laughs> when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Oh boy, God, I thought you had set us free, and now our enemy are hot on our tails. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done, Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. No, it's not. It's amazing, isn't it, that when we are led out from slavery, even for you and I, we're led out into the promises of God. We are free from the power of sin. And then we come out and go, Man, those guys back in the world who don't know Jesus, it looks like they're having a good time. God, I thought you said this is life and life in its fullness, and here I am struggling to make ends meet. Here I am, and I'm struggling with sickness, and, I, I've, and yet I'm still struggling with this sickness 
and illness. I'm still struggling in my marriage. I'm still struggling in faith. I thought you're the God who frees us. It's interesting, isn't it, how we can reinterpret the story, the story we tell ourselves. Hey, God, rescue us from the hand of Egypt. He does. Hey, God, we knew this was a bad deal. We should have stayed there. We said to you we want to stay there. I sh- Please don't think you're not like the Israelites in this. I am like the Israelites in this. You are like the Israelites in this. We reinterpret our stories over and over But you know what? Faith is not telling God what he should do and then waiting to see him do it and say, see, I knew he was going to do it. That isn't faith. I tell you what faith is. Faith is believing in the promises of God even when you don't see them. It's believing in God's word, taking him at his word and saying, God, I trust you. God, this this may not change to the day I die, but you are faithful. You are able You are a deliverer. You are a provider. You are my healer. You are my rescuer. And I believe you and I place my hope and my trust in you and I will not waver from that. So the answer to their question is no. How does God respond? Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. I, I find it hard to get my head to wrap my head around the fact that these guys have just witnessed these incredible plagues and then they're still questioning, can God deliver? Can God rescue? Can God save? And I, in myself, I like to think, yeah, I'd, I'd be with Moses on this one. Don't worry, everyone, he's got it. But I, I, I wouldn't be. I'd be like, well, yeah, God, you did that yesterday, but today's problem right now. I need faith for this. But Moses says, these Egyptians that have framed your life, that have framed your descendants' life for the last 400 years, you're never going to see them again. The king, the most powerful nation on earth, God says, I'm over those. I'm the God of justice over those guys. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. What a great statement. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? I think Moses gets it tough, doesn't he? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. They're they're trapped, aren't they? They they have the sea in front of them, Pharaoh's armies behind them, but the pillar of cloud that separates Pharaoh's armies and God's people. Go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after you. You remember a few weeks ago, Al said that in this hardening of hearts, there's both um, Pharaoh hardens his heart and yet God also hardens Pharaoh's heart. And we see that here. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. When the gods of Egypt and the God of Pharaoh, Pharaoh Pharaoh saw himself as a God. When they are defeated, I will be glorified. Let's read to jump to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove back the sea by a a strong east wind all night and made the sea 
dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Sorry. Um, went into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen, and of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord had used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in his servant, Moses. Amen. In chapter 14, verse 13, we encounter this word salvation for the first time. Do not be afraid. Stand here and do nothing because you are going to watch the salvation of the Lord that he will accomplish today. And salvation as a word means to be rescued from danger. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. And Yeshua in Hebrew gets translated into Greek as Jesus, which then becomes translated into English in our Bibles as Jesus. Jesus' name is salvation. And and. In the Old Testament, as we read in this Hebrew, that God is going to Yeshua of salvation. I just think that is amazing. And that God is authoring salvation of his people through Yeshua. Why is Jesus named Jesus? Because he is our salvation. Because he is our rescuer. Because he is the one who leads us out. He does what none of us can do. He rescues us from sin and slavery. And salvation, if you are here and you don't know Jesus this morning, salvation is having faith in a crucified Messiah. 2,000 years ago, a man who is fully man and fully God was crucified on a cross in our place. At the hands of his enemies, taking our guilt and our shame and sin and filth upon him and giving us his righteousness in return. Jesus is our salvation. And that power of God of what Jesus did upon the cross, it has the power to bring life and goodness and blessing to anyone who calls on his name. You see, you can't work for your salvation. Try as you might. And I think sometimes, whether you're here and you know Jesus or not, if you do know him, sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves. I think we can subtly get into, I'm going to work for salvation. I'm going to work at self-righteousness. 
And I know this because I do it too, and, and we always put on this face like, I'm doing all right, thank you very much. When actually we can feel like, no, I'm really not doing all right, there's a sea in front of me, and the armies of Egypt are behind me, I'm pressed in, I'm hemmed in, God help. And so, hey, how are you doing? I'm all right. Life's all right. I'm here, aren't I? God says, no, my salvation. I work salvation for you. It's precisely what God does. He sends a wind, his spirit, to part the waters so that dry land can appear. Where have we seen that before? We, in our, we should have these markers in our head as we read through the Bible. Back in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. Genesis 1 chapter 9. It's a God in his creative work, in his creation, is making a land, and not just, not just planet Earth, but land for people to live and multiply and fill with his image. And again, here in Exodus 14, verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. God's wind parts the waters and creates dry land again for humanity to flourish and for life and blessing to come. The Exodus, we, we may not see this is a new creation story. It's not just a way of God is rescuing people from slavery. He's, it's a work of new creation. He's creating dry land again. Not just to get his people out from slavery, but into his promises. Into the land of blessing. Into an inheritance and a future hope. God is a God who delivers us from ourselves, from sin and death and the mess that we've made. From being under the control of sin and Satan where we are powerless. He delivers us. He rescues us from that into hope and life and freedom. And that's what we have because for those of us who place our faith in Jesus, he is that Passover lamb. He is our savior. He is our means of salvation and rescue. It's through the blood of the lamb, as Rob said. He rescues us from defeat and evil and death. It's through the blood of the Lamb that Jesus actually defeats evil and death. And it's through the blood of the Lamb that he actually provides a way forward for God's people to be blessed. And that's why we call this story the Exodus. That's why this part of the story is the Exodus. It's the out path from my old life into my new life. It was the out path as God parted the seas, that dry land. For two million plus people to pass through was the outpath from slavery into promises. God is the God of Exodus. Here's the challenge. Israel were free and they were freed. Israel were free back in chapter 12, verse 50. All the people did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out from the land of Egypt by their hosts. But they were not free. They still had Pharaoh's armies charging down on them, hemming them in, a threat to them. They were objectively free. God had set them free. But they still weren't free. They were still in the realm of Egypt, if you like. And in 14, um, chapter 14, we read this, um, that Pharaoh took 600 chosen chariots and horsemen, blah, 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 and the Lord hardened the heart of the king of, um, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, and he pursued the people of Israel 
while they were going out defiantly. Here's the people's response. Verse 12. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better if we were still back working for Pharaoh in Egypt. You see, so objectively, God's people have been freed. When Pharaoh said go, God used that to set his people free. But they are still not freed. I wonder if you, in the our story bit of this, where story isn't it? We are free. We are objectively through this blood of the lamb that we shelter under, that, that we have been washed with and cleansed with the blood of the lamb. We are free. God sees you as a saint and not a sinner. Your sin has been dealt with. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, we are told. That's a true objective fact, no matter how you feel today, if you're in Christ. The penalty against you has been paid. You were dead in your sins, but you are now alive in Christ. You are no longer guilty. You are now no longer under condemnation because the judgment against you has been poured out on Jesus follower of Jesus, you are free. And yet, as the Israelites discovered, they'd been set free and were still not fully freed. And I think that so often shapes our story. I am freed, but I still feel the pull of the power of sin, pulling me back to my old habits, my old patterns of thinking, my old ways of making life work. A place where faith and trust is tested. And that's why the New Testament writers tell us over and over again, Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says this, You are now no longer under the law, for you've been freed from the judgment that came from being under the law. You are not a slave to sin anymore, so don't let sin reign in you. You have been set free. Be freed. When you're set free in Christ, you're now under his kingship. You're not a slave. Sin is now no longer your slave master. Jesus is. You have been set free. This is our story. In this story, we see that Israel are both free and freed. And this is God's response. Listen to these four things. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the Lord fight for you. Be still. What does salvation of God look like? What is God's saving work in your life? I'm not just talking about how does he help you out in problem area X of your life. What does God's salvation work look like? Spurgeon says it so well. I dare say, he says, you will think that it is a very easy thing to stand still. But it is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of all human armies. But it is one of the most difficult to learn under the captain of salvation. The apostle seems to hint at this difficulty when he says, stand fast. And having done all still stand. To stand at ease in the midst of a tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much divine grace. Here's the deal. We can never defeat our enemies in and of ourselves. You can try as much as you want, and if you are here and you don't know Jesus, 
you can be in the habit of working to prove to God that you're good enough. It's never good enough. Because God is a God of justice as well as salvation. We are powerless in our battles. Boy, do we tell ourselves a story. I'm strong. I'm able. I can do this on my own. God is a God who loves brokenness and meekness. He's a God who takes hold of those things. Israel were powerless to deliver themselves. We are powerless to deliver ourselves. And Moses says, be still. God will fight on your behalf. And this church is what Jesus does for us. And it's called grace. We are saved by grace. We are not just set free through grace, but we are also freed through grace. You can now say no to sin because of the grace of God at work in you. Because of the power of God at work within you. And so I just want to remind you as we finish now that the Exodus story is this. That as God's people went down into Egypt, they went down because of poverty. Because of a lack. Because they could not save themselves. They went down empty. And as God leaves them out, when you go back to Exodus 12, you see that they go to the Egyptians. And they, and they ask them for wealth and gold. And the Egyptians give them gold and wealth. And you see, as we saw last week, that as they go out from Egypt and out from slavery, they have a meal. And we're told also that they go out as a multitude, a mixed multitude. It wasn't just the people of Israel. It was probably their Egyptian neighbors that they said, come and shelter in our home. The angel of death is coming. You need to shelter because, and some of the Egyptians may be answered. And maybe there were other people groups who were also slaves building the empire of Egypt. And the, and the Israelites said, you've got to come and You've got to come and find safety. And God sends out his people. He rescues them out through the dry land, walls of water on either side, with meal, with wealth, and a mixed multitude. God's salvation is worthy of worship and song and praise. I haven't got time to talk about... um, Jesus and Moses. But this story does point to a better Moses. This story points to a true Moses who doesn't just lead out God's people from Israel, from Egypt, but leads out anyone who will call upon his name into life and a future hope. If if you'd like to stand, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that as we look at your salvation, the response of our hearts is one of worship. And that's precisely what your people did in chapter 15. They go on to sing the song of the sea, the song of Miriam, the song of Moses as they declare your salvation. Church, over and over as we read through through the scriptures in your Bibles, you see that every time that God is a God of deliverance, it provokes and promotes and prompts within us a response of worship. God saves, we sing. God delivers, we sing. God rescues, we sing. God provides, we sing. God gives us a future hope, we sing. That's why in Revelation, we see again the song of Moses and of the Lamb because it's the right response of a multitude, a mixed multitude of people before the throne of God eternal to sing and declare of his power to save and rescue. And it's because of Christ's outstretched arms, his mighty outstretched arms upon a cross.
that you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, I thank you that you are the God who delivers your people and you bring justice upon your enemy. And we thank you that we have been set free in Christ through his blood shed for us, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. We thank you that we are a rescued and redeemed people, but you haven't just rescued us from sin, but you have placed in front of us a future glory, a future hope, an eternity that, that, you, that you motivate us from and say, come on, this is your home. This is, this is where you live. This is, your, this is your citizenship is here in this future hope. And I pray for each one in this room today that, that our song of salvation may be one of worship and heavens declaring the saving power of God, the greatness of God, the worthiness of God, of worship and adoration from his people. I pray this morning that even as we remind ourselves of your salvation, that, Lord, our response would be one of worship. So come, Holy Spirit. I pray that we would never become familiar with this story in a way that we just shrug and carry on. I pray that you would motivate us and thrill us by your grace, that we would be those who love to tell others, love to let your word dwell among us richly and sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs of your saving grace. I pray that that would be what defines us as a community, is which is simply a community who have been who shelter under the blood of the Lamb. Not that we are any better, Lord. We're no better than anyone else, but we have encountered your grace. And Lord, we have this great story to tell and share and sing about. So I pray, even as we go from this place, that you would motivate us to invite neighbours and friends and family to say, "Come encounter the God of salvation. Come and meet Him." As we go from this place, thank you that you are a God who is able and faithful and true to all your promises to a thousand generations. Amen. Amen.